Hey, podcast listeners, this is Todd Finley, the founder and CEO of HBCU Grad. On this podcast episode, you'll listen to a conversation between me and Darius Fulgham. Darius Fulgham is the top amateur heavyweight. He's a graduate of Prairie View, and he would have been in the Olympics this summer had uh, COVID hit. So it's a really wide ranging uh, interview. We touched on a lot of subjects. I really, really think you're going to enjoy this one. Uh, tell us what you think after it's over. All right. Darius Fulgham. Yes, sir. We haven't talked to you before, except for the 10 minutes that we were just talking before. Yeah, right. <laughs> the whole conversation. So I kind of want to go back and, you know, get it from the beginning. So tell me where you're from. I'm uh, I originally grew up in Killeen, Texas, but right now I live in Houston, Texas. I've uh, been out here since 2016. OK. And so this, is my, this, is my, this is my new home now. Nice. And I was telling you, I'd never been to Houston. So you were giving me a hard time about that. Yeah, man. You need to change that ASAP. I know. ASAP. <laughs> so what was your upbringing like? Well, one thing I had to understand, too, uh, kind of my background, and I'm the baby of the family. Um, and I grew up in a biracial home. So my, my dad is, my father's white, and uh, my mom is black. And military, my dad's in the military. So we, uh, I, I didn't move around a lot. Personally, uh, I kind of stayed in Killeen, which is Fort, Fort Hood, where we were stationed at. I was there since like 2000, so that's kind of where I grew up most of my life. Um, but I, I, man, I've been I've been blessed, man, with the family that I got and the support system that I had. Um, I think I think it was a good dynamic between my two parents. Uh, my dad was kind of really disciplined one, and my mom was just so nurturing. She was real giving, and and it kind of meshed well for an environment for me to grow. Um, I've never been a, a been a real uh I've never been a bad kid at all. My record's clean and uh I think that's important going forward. You know, education was always important to me. And uh man, it was it was, it was a blessing, man. Like I I'm I'm I completely thankful for the for the family that I that I was blessed to be born into. because um, they treated me right, man. They're right, they're right. Now I was reading you said you're the baby boy. Um what are the advantages of being a baby boy? Oh man, they, all the trial and error stuff is gone. They already tried it. My brother and my sister, <laughs> right? They already tried it on them, right? And and uh, granted, I was I was the baby by by a while. So I think that my sister is like she's like six years six years older than me. So by the time mm -hmm. I was in uh, I like seventh grade, they were everybody's already out the house. So at that right. point in time, I was kind of only child when I was going through my like adolescent years. Uh, and I was I was kind of spoiled. And I'm not gonna lie to you. I wasn't spoiled. Like I was never like I was always asking for stuff. But anything anything that I ever needed, my parents made sure the priority that they that they took care of anything. If we had any dreams or future any careers, if I needed to go to like a training camp or if I needed to go out to do this or I needed a certain equipment, they made sure they would scrape up what they had to give that to me. You know, so they they've been real supportive through all these years. Uh, right. And 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 they would do the same thing for my older siblings, but uh, they were they were in a better position by the time I was kind of coming up. Right. And the reason I asked you that, because I'm the baby boy. Oh, really? And, and, and my sister left when I was in like the fifth grade. And well, so when I was in fourth grade, she started at Hampton. So mm -hmm. then, 
you know, I was in the fifth grade and I think what you said, your parents are a little bit more mature. Yeah. They got all the experimentation out the way. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you kind of be spoiled in a way and it's almost like you're an only child, but then your older sibling or siblings, they can impart a lot into you because they're still closer than you, but far enough away where you can listen to what they have I to say. I don't think, I don't think I understand how accurate that was, man. So my, um, when I get my brother came out to Houston, so he played football. He actually uh, graduated at TSU. Um, nice. So he played football there. He got his got his bachelor's, and he actually went off to to play in the NFL for a little bit. And then he went back, got his master's degree. And so by the time I, I came out to Houston um, to go to school at Prairie View, uh, I ended up living living out there with him. And uh, dude, he took care of me too, man. Like that's yeah. another blessing, man. He was always a big inspiration to me like I was always felt like I was chasing after him you know like I always yeah. wanted to be just like him and that yeah. every aspect of life you know in sports he was so competitive and and so he instilled a lot inside of me as well too so mm-hmm. um the same thing goes from other family like they're always there for me when I need them so they still and they, hey just same thing like they pass on the same wisdom so I don't have to learn some of the mistakes that they made either right so yeah it was it was a blessing so I did have that kind of only child life I didn't have I didn't have them to kind of play around with when I was when I was growing up, but they've always been there for me though. Right, that makes sense. Now I had an older sister. You had an older sister and an older brother. Yeah, actually, I have two older sisters and, and one older okay. brother. Now, who made you the toughest, the boys or the girls, or the boy or the girls? Oh, the boy, boys for sure. Really, <laughs> boys man, my, for sure. Man, I was. <laughs> wait, wait, so what about the same thing with you? You had you just had one older sister? Yeah, just one older sister. Uh-huh. And I was listening to a song, I think it was Jay-Z. He was like, I was thinking like, damn, how my older sister gonna make me tougher? And I was like, you know what? My older sister did make me tougher. And a lot of people think it comes from the boys. So with you, it was your older brother though, huh? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I okay. said, he was a, he was he was my my role model growing up. Right, right. How far did he go in the NFL? He did. I wish he could have. He could have made it further. Man, I'm telling you, he was talented, man. Hardest worker that I know to this day. Um, it, he 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 went during the lockout when the lockout happened, and uh, so he went play for the Detroit Lions and he played a couple preseason okay. games with them, and then uh, yeah, he got cut. Okay. Now if now when you went out there to live with him, was he the older brother that was saying, "Hey, come on and hang with me," or was he the older brother saying, "This is what you need to do. This is what you need to focus on," and trying to shelter you away from things that he knew that you could get into if uh, you didn't stay on the right track? Oh man, well he was there with me every step of the way. We was in the gym training together. He was he still works out to this day. And at a certain point, I was in school. We were up at, at five in the morning working out together. Wow. We get up at five in the morning to go work out together. He go to he go to his job. I would go to class. And so he he's always been there for me, you know. So in in, in every aspect, he I mean I'm I'm still we were still young, so he never was trying to shelter me or anything. He was never like that, you know. I had right. my I always had my freedom, but uh, you know, obviously he would tell me. And that's the one thing that I that I love the most about him too is he'll call you out on your stuff. He ain't afraid to hurt your feelings. If you mess up, man, he's gonna let you know about it. <laughs> right. That's important. Yeah, he ain't gonna hold nothing back. He'll let you know. No yeah, matter right. if you know, he ain't gonna he's not a yes man. That's I guess what I'm basically saying. Right. That's a good thing. Now is that your routine to work out at five in the morning? Uh it depends. Everything kind of changes depending on what my schedule is and what, what my coach has me doing. Okay. Um as of right, it was like that when I was in school. Now, since you know, since I graduated, I have a lot more time throughout the day. And really, this this is my job now to train. Um, right. 
And so it really depends on, on the routine of what, what's going on, if we have a fight coming up or if not. Right. Now, um, you graduated last year? Yeah, 2019. 2019. And it was supposed to be the Olympics this year. And you were about to qualify for it, had qualified for it. So what kind of happened was after I graduated, I had um, – I kind of took up boxing for about two, my last two semesters of school because the workload was mm-hmm. uh, too intense. And uh, so as soon as I graduated, man, I, I put everything behind me, man, and I put 100% of me back into boxing. And so I still had to qualify for the trials. So I had to go to these qualifying tournaments to get my spot in the, at the Olympic trials. That was in December. And okay. um, so there's only eight spots. So I had got, got in at the last second. And um, so I was the eighth seed coming into the tournament, and um, I ended up eventually winning that winning that tournament. So I got my spot on on Team USA for the Olympic qualification team, and uh, we were supposed to go to Argentina and in, in back in March, um, and that was going to be our our ticket to securing our spot in the Olympic Games in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. But COVID happened, obviously, and uh, that kind of that kind of canceled everything. Argentina canceled the whole event, and. Um, same thing. I'm around the whole world. Everything got shut down. So now everything got pushed back to 2021. And uh, so it got rescheduled. So we're supposed to, I think it's not official the date and the location, but I was supposed to go to Argentina again in uh, 2021. We're assuming. Okay. To get so, on the spot. so the Olympics is going to be there or is going to be? No, no, that's going to be, that's going to be for us to qualify um, okay. for the Olympics. So we still like the team is set team USA. Uh, we have our team that's, that's going to um, to try to qualify, but we mm-hmm. still have to make that last attempt. Okay. As if that makes any sense. It's a little confusing. It's a little different from other sports. Normally, if you think you win the Olympic trials for USA, that you already got your spot. But to kind of to kind of better break it down, there's so many countries around the world. Imagine if they had their guy. You know, they're, they're number one. So like I'm the number one ranked heavyweight in the United States. Mm-hmm. There's number one ranked heavyweights in every country. So they got a obviously weed them out and so we go to continentals which which is everybody from the from the americas north america so from canada united states mexico and south america to all the countries down there mm-hmm. we had that we have a tournament and i have to get top three at that tournament and then they had those same tournaments around the world and so say for example we don't uh we don't uh qualify at the argentina there's one more chance at worlds which would be uh in paris Okay, and okay. that would be anybody that hasn't qualified yet would go there to that tournament, and then they would get uh, to get their spot. Okay. okay. Does, that make, does that make any sense? I know it's a little confusing. No, that makes a lot of fun. Yeah, that makes a lot of fun. There are a lot of Muslims in boxing. Um, they're Mexicans are real heavy in boxing. Mm-hmm. Why is that? Because, I, you know, I, I was doing a little research before we talked, and I have a feeling that you know the history of boxing and all that. Why, like, why are some cultures more prone to being boxers? Now, I think you know that's something I, I've been asking, especially a lot of the Hispanic cultures. That's just what they're they've grown up doing for, like their entire life. Right. I know as of right now, um, especially in the amateur circuit, uh, it's more like the Russians that are kind of dominating yeah. uh, in the Olympics right now. So the Kazakhstans are the ones that are kind of kind of uh, dominating Uzbekistan's um, Kazakhstan. I think I said that already. I said that already. 
Yeah. <laughs> but I did cut that out. Huh? Kazakhstan, right. Uzbekistan, uh, the Cubans, for sure. Okay. They've been having a program for the longest, um, and, and, they, and they're proven to have results. And okay. now for us, for example, the United States, we've kind of been on a decline from from past, from, from past years. Uh, so we're on our way back up. Now we've made a lot of turnarounds and changed our program to, to kind of get us back on top in the boxing game. But as for Muslims, I can't speak for my, I'm not, I'm not too sure. Um, but I know Mexicans, that's just, a, that's really a part of their culture. Any, a lot of Mexicans that I know they've been watching, even, even a lot of women and men and kids, that's just what they've grown up watching. I think that's just a part of the, part of their culture. Right. Makes and the same thing for the Cubans as well. Yeah. Just like you say the same thing. Like I think Dominicans are, are everybody there can play baseball. Yeah. You yeah. know, um, yeah. I think it's just a part of their culture and, and their livelihood. Right. That, that makes sense. Maybe it started with Ali or maybe somewhere in, you know, with Ali, you know, turn into. Oh, yeah. When he when he converted to Muslim. Yeah, that may be it. I don't, I don't know. It, it could be. I, I I don't know for sure. I, I, I don't have the answer. OK. OK. Makes sense. Now, there's a rumor that you were fat as a kid. Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> I plead the fifth. <laughs> and you know, and the reason the reason I asked why, why, why I couldn't say why I couldn't say chunky. Why I had to say that. <laughs> you know, and the reason I asked because I know sometimes some people grow up and they're chunky. Mm. And I wanted you to give some tips on how to transform from chunky to in shape to the point where you can compete in the world as a top athlete it was it was literally my passion so it actually started with wrestling so it was going into my junior my junior year i was probably at my biggest uh and i i wouldn't say i weighed too much i was just shaped badly i was badly shaped for sure (laughs) (laughs) and uh when i when i when i was competing in wrestling i I became so passionate about it so you remember i told you i was always chasing behind my brother i always wanted to be a football player man but i didn't have that passion in football i remember being at practice um, why am I here? You know, but it wasn't like that when I was wrestling, and I and I and I took that passion I had, and I want to be so good at it. I found something I can be good in, and it just naturally came with the work. Like I was working my tail off, man. I, it just came, you know. And right. um, I remember I was in a hot the gym that I was training at. It was a hot box, man. I, you walk in there, you ain't got to do nothing, just breathing, and you're sweating. <laughs> Insanely hot. Didn't make any sense. So I, it was just natural. But I, I started paying attention more to my body and I, I started doing a lot more research and nutrition is the hardest thing to really to research because there's not much really funded behind it um so you'll find all these blogs and you'll find which is not really accredited research and uh it's kind of hard to know what's really factual or not but i, I was doing the best that i could and right. so I'm, i was doing all this research on my health on health and body trying to figure out what's the best way to kind of lose and cut weight and because i was trying to go down a weight class i knew i wasn't I was too heavy. So I was trying to be a better version of myself. And so it just came naturally. And uh, I ended up, I wrestled that year at 195 is when I kind of lost weight. So I was a little more toned. Okay. After that, I started boxing and I cut even more weight. I went all the way down to like, at one point, I went all the way down to 165. Wow. Completely unhealthy. Todd, it was embarrassing. (laughs) I look, I look sick, man. Like I didn't look healthy at all. And, uh, I started to realize I started being more comfortable in my own body. I went up to 178 um, mm-hmm. to fight, and I felt more comfortable there. Um, right now, I fight at 201. And 
I came to realize over these, my body started growing a little bit more. I started getting bigger and stronger. And over the years, I started to realize, especially in the amateur circuit, we had to weigh in and fight the same day. And we normally fight tournaments, not like the pros. We fight for a whole week. So some tournaments I fight five times in a week. And I started to realize when I was cutting weight, I felt so unhealthy and, and drained. And uh, there's been a lot of research showing that um, a lot of a lot of brain trauma is caused from cutting weight. You know, you lose a lot of fluid, and then the fluid, the, the cerebrospinal fluid in your head is what kind of absorbs the impact that your brain takes. And so there's been a lot of research showing that, and I, I've never been uh, – I've always felt weak and drained when I had to do that day in and day out, day in and day out to compete. So that's why I ended up going to 201. So I fight at 201, but I weigh – I usually weigh around like 190-something. Okay. Came to realize if you can fight, you can fight, you know. Right. Weight does. I'm not saying weight doesn't play a part because it does, but uh, if, it, if it comes at the risk of you feeling very fatigued and drained, then it's not worth it. Um, I know that wasn't the, the, the answer to your question because I kind of got off topic. I started going off, but uh, I think you originally asked me is what some tips for people that are trying to lose weight. Is that what you, is that what you asked? Yeah, if they want to go from a childhood of being chubby to in a, just being a, a healthy adult. I think that's the best way to put it too, and being a healthy adult. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying, you know, some people look at have these body image disorders and they'll look at certain individuals and they like, Man, I want to, I want to look just like that. And they're not comfortable in their own skin. It's just about being healthy. Make sure you can take care of yourself. Yeah. You know, I've seen too many people. I've seen like the, the 600 pound life. I don't know if you ever watched that show. And I think to myself, like, how, like, how do you get to this point? Yeah. I've never understood. Like, how do you, how can you allow yourself to get to this point? You know, I think it's just important about about being healthy. And I think it's just important that everybody has to do your own research. They have all these fad diets right. that, that aren't necessarily proven to work, but some of them do. They had they they they've shown results, but you gotta find the diet that's right for you. Um and these are for these are for normal people, you know, like like obviously I'm an Olympic athlete right now. And so this this literally is my job. Yeah. You know, like I get I get this how I get paid, this how I put food on my table, you know, so Right. It's a little different talking from from normal person, but you just got to have that passion. Just make sure you want to live a long and healthy life. You got to think about long term. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Now you were a wrestler in high school. What do you think the better sh- you are in better shape as a wrestler or a boxer? Because people always, it, well, I shouldn't say people. I look <laughs> at the best shaped athletes as boxers, wrestlers, and swimmers. What do you think? You know, something else I put up there, too, is uh, I guess you said best shape. To me, I'm not going to lie to you. One of like the hardest sports, I think, to me, and I think everybody has their own personal opinion, depending on what they're good at. Like, you're good at basketball, right? You said you're good at basketball. <laughs> I'm not. So I think basketball is hard. You may <laughs> like, what? Basketball easy. Same right. thing, vice versa. You may think boxing is, like, really tough. But I'm like, no, well, I'm good at it. So I have a different kind of perspective. To me, right. gymnastics are like like – Probably one of the hardest sports to me. I'm not gonna lie. Oh, yeah. I, dude, the flexibility and strength that they have to have is ridiculous. But I guess you're talking about cardio and conditioning shape. Um, I, I agree with you, gymnast. It's it's hard to put it, man. I probably have to go swimmers. I'm not gonna lie. And the reason I say that because I'm a boxer. So one thing that I realize, a lot of stuff is so mental. Um, so for example, I give you somebody can run a marathon. They can be a marathon runner. You're like, oh man, they're in crazy shape, right? Put them in a boxing ring, can't last a round, right? Right. 
and you start to realize what really happens is it depends on how tense and how relaxed you are. If you're first time boxing, man, you're scared for your life. Who nobody being hit in the face is so uncomfortable. Not it's, it's painful, it hurts. And right. your body tells you to avoid pain as much as possible. Right. And so what happens is your body is so tense like this. Yeah. Obviously, you're gonna you're gonna get gassed out like that. All right. So it's all about being relaxed. Uh, all about it's all about being cool, calm, and even under pressure, under being under fire, where you're catching shots and you're fighting back, you gotta be relaxed. That's right. the hardest thing to get into somebody's head because like I said, it's all mental, you know. Yeah. And that's what really determines somebody somebody's cardio, depending on how relaxed they can be in there, if that makes any sense. That makes a lot um, of sense. So why I said swimmers is because I can't swim very well. <laughs> right. I can't swim very well at all. I've been mm-hmm. I've done it for workouts and stuff, but man, I've gargled so much salt water. My life is unhealthy, probably. <laughs> right, I know what so, you mean. I think I'm gonna go with swimmers because I'd be scared of drowning. So same situation. My body is tense, and I'm like fighting the water. Right. And, uh, so yeah, swim. I go swimming. Right, makes sense. Wrestling is definitely hard for sure. I can't realize <clears throat> that uh, I think wrestlers are some of the most disciplined athletes that I know. Definitely. Um, definitely kind of going up through wrestling and boxing. I think wrestlers are some of the, the most disciplined athletes I know. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Now, when you just when you just did that right there, I can just tell you're, uh, you know, Trained fighter, you know. I know. <laughs> now, when I go and watch somebody play basketball, I can look how somebody and, runs out, and, and I immediately know. I know who's the I know who's the man on the team. If I don't know anything, mm-hmm. are you that same way? Can you look at someone and see how their shoulders are rolled, or see how they, you know, just throw a jab and can tell if they're the real deal or not? Yeah, I can. Okay. I can. You can tell even sometimes now. It is a little confusing in boxing. The reason why I say that is because there's some people that you can see hit the bag or hit the mitts, and they look phenomenal, right? They're the best, and they're the best mitt punch bag work. You know, they look amazing, like top tier athlete. But when you put them in the ring with somebody, it's completely different. Yeah, like man, would just do the stuff you was doing on the bag and the mitts. Man, you look good doing that. Right. But being in the presence of another another figure kind of changes things. You know. Yeah. Um, it a lot of it doesn't translate. It's all about you know somebody's reaction time and then, and so I, and that one's a little tricky. I'm trying to think. Most of the times, yes, you can tell. You mm-hmm. can you can look at somebody and how they move. Like oh yeah, he can fight. And yeah. You just know they can fight. Yeah. But sometimes it's a little because mis- a lot of times when people do mid work, it's all choreographed, right? right. So you right. Can choreograph a whole routine and make it look good. But the problem is when you when you're actually fighting, that's not choreographed at all. Everything is. It's constantly changing. It's so dynamic, so it's it's not the same. Right. So I, if I see somebody fight, so for example, if it's me, I'm finna, I'm about to fight somebody. That happens a lot in the amateurs, right? As mm-hmm. I'm going through the through the Olympic circuit, you know, a lot of times you don't know who you're fighting, and so mm-hmm. as soon as like first ten seconds, I know. Yeah, you know. First ten seconds, I know. Can you tell if someone's scared? Oh yeah. <laughs> you can tell by the body language. Yeah, you, yeah. Yeah, you can tell. Yeah. And you can tell by how they, how they act, too. And, and sometimes you can really tell how tense somebody is, too. Remember I was telling you that's the big, that's yeah. a big indicator to me, how tense they are. If they're real relaxed, 
most times they're not they're not intimidated. But when you see somebody get real tense, that's when you know. Right. Are you are you one of the ones that Mike Tyson stares them down? Man, now I tell you, Mike Tyson. When I watched videos, obviously I wasn't boxing in when he was when he was kind of coming up. But I watched the old videos of Mike Tyson. Man, Mike Tyson was intimidating. He is the only person that get away with saying some of the crazy stuff he said. <laughs> I'm gonna eat your kids. I'm like, ah, oh heck no. He's the only person that get away with that. Yeah, but I think he, you know, he the elevator may not go all the way to the top. So wait, say that, say that one more time. His elevator may not go all the way to the top. Oh. So it's not even an act, you know. <laughs> so he's that's really being really Yeah. <laughs> that's that's it. He definitely got a few few screws loose for sure. Right. Yeah. Now, have you ever been in a a fight where you got injured because I don't know what happened, but if I, this finger right here is broke. Like I can right here and I can feel it right now as we as we're talking. And I'm sitting here thinking if I had to fight right now, I literally can't throw this hand. <laughs> what do you do when you get in the in fight? In those situations, you hurt your hand. Yeah. Well, one thing I would tell you though, if you were an actual actual fight, life or death situation, you were going to throw that hand. Yeah. Ten right. times, I guarantee you're going to throw that hand. You're not going to feel when your adrenaline gets to pump, and you're not going to feel any of that. Um, luckily, I've been blessed. I never had that that situation where I've been injured in a fight like that. Okay. Uh, so I haven't had that experience to 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 kind of tell you, but. Mm-hmm. One thing I will say is is you learn to adapt. You learn to adapt. If if you can't, if you say you hurt your, say you orthodox and you hurt your right hand, man, let's say you even had to jab somebody to death the entire time, use your feet. You you'll learn to make those adjustments in the ring because I mean you have no choice. You're in a fight. You got and you got to win. You have the mentality of a winner, so you have to win. So you know you'll fit. You'll you'll figure it out. But if it happens in the fight. A lot of times, like I said, the adrenaline is pumping, and sometimes you won't even feel it till afterwards. Right. As soon as the fight over, you take. I've seen some fighters they take their glove off after the fight, and their hand is swollen, huge. They didn't even know they were still punching with it, you know, because they obviously don't feel it. Right. That makes sense. Or the pain is not as severe. You feel it, but <laughs> it's something that's bearable in that moment. But as soon as the fight's over with, mm-hmm. you're right. That makes that's sense. A wrap. When did you first fall in love with boxing? Maybe maybe about uh, a week after I started. <laughs> okay. I think maybe around the first time I sparred. Um, I remember, you know, so boxing was never something. It was something I wanted to do when I was a kid. I, I did want to do it, but I never did. I started when I was 18. And, oh, okay. Um, that was my senior year of high school. And, and uh, I think about the first time I sparred. And I grew up in a small town. So I was kind of, I was kind of. I was kind of one of the best ones in my city out the gate, like pretty early in my career. And so I had that I had that thrill of finally getting in with somebody. And it's just something I wanted more and I wanted more of. And you could tell you could tell, like, you have to have passion. In this. this is not something that you can just do on a whim. Like this is something that you got to seriously love doing. Right. You ask any fighter. We have all got our ass with before. <laughs> we all have. Now, if anybody said they haven't, they lying to you. Right. We all have. We've all been humbled. That's the one thing that's beautiful about this sport is you're going to get humbled. Mm-hmm. And I remember coming up, there's a guy who sparred with, and he used to beat me down constantly. And mm-hmm. and, and that's when I realized how much I loved it. I remember the, <laughs> I remember we was in Georgetown, and I didn't know who this guy was. He didn't speak any English, any English either. Um, and I got set up to spar with him. 
and uh, my dad was there and everything. Man, this dude beat me in front of my dad so bad. It was the most awkward car ride home. It was so silent. <laughs> but I think that's when my dad knew how much I loved the sport because I wanted more. I said, man, I got I to gotta get it back. You're right. I got to get back. And I kept going back and back and back again. And that's just how I got how I got so to the point where I'm at now and how I got so good is I was I was fearless and relentless and I wanted to get in with the best. And right. I wanted to be tested. And I think that's I think that's the I think that was the edge that I had and what got me to where I'm at now. Right. That makes sense. And, you know, that's another thing that we have in common. Like my dad was always at my sporting events to support me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was basketball, football, tennis, um, what a baseball. I was I was good at everything except for track. Like you know, I could beat everybody up the you know up the basketball court. So I thought yeah. I was fast. I would you know run track, and he came to my track meets, and I was picking them up. They just weren't yeah. going back down. And after every game, after he would always stay and you know and say good game. After track, he'd be like, "Is that your last race?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He was, he, was, he was not proud. <laughs> you know? That sounds just like my dad, man. My dad, <laughs> biggest supporter. And that was something that's important, I think, for for a lot of people when, they, when they're coming up, that the family had that support system, that they're there. Yeah. And uh, that was something my dad always kept the rule with me, too. He'll let me know if I suck. Right. He was not a, he was not ashamed to admit, hey, man, <laughs> this ain't for you. <laughs> He's right. not ashamed to admit that. He'll tell us that to our face. He ain't care, you know, but he was always there and he would do anything. He's never boxed before in his life. And that's one thing I appreciate the most about him because, you know, as a father, he said, he don't want to give you any edge I possibly can. And so I'm going to tell you what I see. But yeah. anytime that he tells me what he sees, he always disclaims it with. Now, mind you, I've never boxed before. I never put on a pair of gloves, but I think that this and this and this, and he'll give us kind of his advice. And I think that's super important because there's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, how can you call it um, couch coaches. Yeah, I think that's the best way to describe it when they're watching the fight. Oh, they need to do this. They he needs to throw his jab more. And some of these people ain't never boxed before in a day in your life, and it's like, man, you don't know what it's like. You know, you don't have that same. That's like me telling you how to play basketball. I suck at basketball. I, you know what I'm saying? Right. Imagine me telling you, oh, well, you should do this. You don't have any credibility, you know. Now, so, you know, let me add into that. Do you think that fresh eyes help? Because sometimes someone that's a boxer knows how boxing should be done, or someone that's boxed knows how they would react to it. But sometimes outside eyes can give you a different, fresh perspective that'll give you a perspective that someone within the sport doesn't know. How do you that's a that? that's actually a that's actually a good point. And, and what I'm going to say to that is, um, Troy, when I when I said that, I want you to understand that I always listen to what people have to say. Right. We mess around, it may work. I'm like, man, that's a good idea. Like, yeah. but we've always been logical thinkers, you know, to if it makes sense, let's do it. Right. right. That's one thing I love about my coach. My coach is, is real open minded and he is the most logical person that I know. And he'll do it. will do anything that makes sense. If it makes sense. Yeah, let's let's try it. And we're always open to trying new things. But if it doesn't work and doesn't fit our style, we're not going to do it. And I think that's the important thing about boxing that a lot of a lot of coaches don't understand is sometimes they get real stuck in their ways. Right. 
They get real stuck like this is how it's supposed to be done. This is the right way. Yes, it could be the right way, but we could also do it this way. If that makes any sense. So obviously you have the fundamentals and basic what you're supposed to do, but everybody has different styles and some things don't work for that style. Right. That makes any right. sense, right? So yeah. you have to you have to be open minded. Yeah, you can try new things, but there's no exact way to do anything. Like that may work for this situation, but this right. can also work for this situation. There's so many different in boxes, so many different moving parts that you know there's no concrete way to do things. If that right. makes any sense. That makes that makes all the sense. So, but you have a good point about about fresh eyes. That's why I said we always listen. Not anybody that that when I'm in a gym, and some some random person may walk up and say, "Hey, you know, I think you know you should do do this." I'm like, okay, and I start listening, and I, and I try to play it out to see if if I think it makes sense. If it makes sense to me. Right, and I definitely, I definitely add it to my game. Right. To anybody, if anybody had any advice, I'm gonna listen. But I'm not gonna just tone them out, obviously. But uh, if if I'm not, and I'll never say anything about it either. If it doesn't make sense to me, I'm like, oh, okay, I appreciate it. Right. But then I'm like, mm. yeah. Now I'll go about it. So I'll always be open minded and always listen to try to learn. But um, yeah, yeah, that that was a good point that you brought up, though. In in just listening to you. I got a feeling that humility may be your superpower. You think so? I think so. Because sometimes people that aren't humble, they miss out on a lot of things. Yeah, they do. They do. How do you feel when you're going into a match with someone that isn't humble? You say, I'm about to whoop them good to show them. Oh, you're talking about somebody, somebody that's real, real cocky and arrogant? Yeah. That was actually, um, that was actually some of my favorite people to fight. Man, I'm I'm telling you, it's a long fall. It's a long fall from being cocky like that, and you think you're up here. Yeah. When you find out you're not, <laughs> it, and it hurts, and it's hard for a lot of people to overcome that, you know. And you got to think in the sport of boxing, like I said, do we? That's what I'm saying. They shouldn't be like that. We've all gotten whooped before. Like it's it's happened. Right. Like I said, a lot of times it's just that character they're trying to portray, you know, or they're trying to trick themselves mentally to think that they're this to give them that superpower. Like that may be their superpower in their mind where they talk themselves up and they actually believe that they're this, that could be their mental edge. You know, it's all about, it's all a mental game. Um, like I said, it's, it's a long fall, but I, I know I can never be like that. Cause it's boxing, man. You never know what can happen. Just one, one little slip up, one little hiccup, one punch. And that's it. You know, it's, it's, it's a wrap. You lost or worse. You're knocked out or whatever. You know, and and that's the humility is uh, to me is is it should everybody should have it, but I mean, right? I always always have it. I always make sure I'm grounded, and I know any man any day somebody can somebody can beat me. So I'm always trying to work to that point where it's not right. And mm-hmm. and 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 last thing I got to say, this is yeah. I always had this problem of fighting down in my competition, but then I, I finally had to finally realize. And so I don't have the problem no more. It was the old problem I had in mind. And I had to realize sometimes I would take some people lightly. And, and that was a problem of mine. I made sure I never do that again because you'll start to lose focus. Yeah. In the fight, you're like, nah, man, this dude ain't nothing, right? And you'll lose lack of focus, and then and then you're not performing to the way you should be. So you always I always try to go in every fight like it's a championship fight, and this is and this dude is is you always, I always try to overhype the guy that I'm fighting in my mind. You know, I mean, this dude seemed to be right, like he's right. some legend, right? 
And that way I'm on my A game. Like I'm I'm super sharp, super focused and lasered in mm-hmm. for for that for that opponent. So that I think that's sense. yeah. And that, that makes sense. I want to stay here for a quick second about the dynamics of you having a father that never boxed and then you boxing because you know as we all grow and we grow into men mm-hmm. and our fathers may say some things that we don't like and we look like you know who I am right <laughs> you know <laughs> how has that dynamic ever played out like what made you like I know what made you have respect for him and you know you're humble and mm-hmm. you know, that type of thing and I'm asking for myself because I have a son and I've never boxed but mm-hmm. I him to have that skill and then you know once he gets 16 17 he may think you know, somebody gonna try you or something <laughs> yeah how explain that dynamic That's, a little bit to me. the thing is you, you the, the words you use perfect is respect man that would never I, I would never raise a hand or raise my voice or anything in my father because i know everything that he's done for me right to to give you an example of kind of like the, the guy that he is this is my favorite story about about him um is I'm telling you, he's so supportive. He'll do anything to help us make sure that we succeed. As long as we're doing the right things, you know, we get treated well if we're being if we're being good. You know, if we're acting out and getting in trouble, no, he, he, he wouldn't do the half of the stuff he did for us. But my favorite story is, is when we were in Germany. My brother was was real good in baseball too, and but he had nowhere to practice at. This dude literally borrowed somebody's lawnmower, went and cut. The entire baseball field because the grass was so bad he couldn't play on the play on the field. Cut the entire baseball field so they had they so they had uh, somewhere to practice at, somewhere to catch balls and, and and so that's what I'm saying. Like the stuff that he did for us, man. Like I would I could never even imagine myself disrespecting him because he's done so much for us. That's just like I could this, yeah. That's 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 stupid, you know. So same thing goes, and, I, and I've wanted the same thing too in a sense of teaching. Um, because when I when I learned how to box, I was already kind of grown, and okay. uh, for my future family and stuff, and for my future kids, I always wondered about teaching my kids how to box, right? And I was nervous about it because I was like, man, if I teach them how to fight, what if he just goes out and starts beating all these kids up, right? <laughs> that was like a that was it's not a concern of mine because I don't have any kids, but that was something that I thought about. Like, man, what if teach them how to fight and they go out and start you know beating everybody up? But one thing I kind of realized with myself. Um, peer pressure is, is affects a lot of kids, right? Yeah, everybody wants to fit in. We all want to fit in. But what I realized when I learned how to, I'm not sure. I've never been in confrontation. I don't like confrontation. I'm pretty passive, and I, I I don't like I don't like fighting and stuff. But came to realize once I learned how to fight, I don't have anything to prove to anybody. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? A lot of times they want to try to show out that they can fight and that they're big and they're bad. But when you when you actually know how to fight and you've proven it in the ring multiple times. I don't need to prove nothing to anybody. I know I can fight. You know what I'm saying? And you kind of just brush off anybody saying this and that, you know? So, like I said, that was a concern of mine, but I kind of gotten past it. I've known some people I know that was, you're going to raise raise your kids right anyway. So, just take care of them. They're going to take care of you. I don't think, I I could not imagine somebody disrespecting their father like that because they think, (laughs) my brother, though. <laughs> no, I'm playing. I couldn't. You're I couldn't. Right. I guess he's done too much. I could. I could, I could never. You're right. Never. You're right. That that makes sense. <laughs> has Has anyone ever tried you? No, 
No, nah, I wouldn't I wouldn't even get in a situation for anybody to try me. Right. They did, I always just laughed it off or something, but <laughs> right. I never I, I I'm if you know, you're the one that gives words power and give words power over you. So I've never been the type to to act out or try to you know, if anybody ever says something disrespectful to me and tried me. If they did, it would just be in the rain. It wouldn't be nothing like right, you know, any physical, then I'll just mess around with them or something. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> now but I don't take I don't take any of that stuff seriously. But nobody's really tried me like that though. Okay. That makes sense. Now, um, it's always been a rumor that when you once you become a golden glove, you your hands are considered a deadly registered. Yeah, is that true? Okay, so that's the biggest question a lot of people ask me, and I'm I'm gonna keep it real with you. I've never heard of that before. Okay. Never heard of that before. Now we all have we have a, a license that we, that we got, you know, to, to for us to be able to compete. Mm-hmm. I've never heard of our hands being registered. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Okay. But I am pretty sure, though, you know, that where it kind of came from is just just to say if, if if I was to actually assault, fight somebody or assault somebody, then they can say like like this dude's a trained fighter, right? You know, like and they can you know aggress the charges, but. I've never – I don't even know what that means, to be honest right. with you. <laughs> and it, I even asked some other fighters, like, what does that mean? And they're like, yeah, yeah, our hands are – you know, come on, we got our license. Our hands are registered. I'm like – I mean, if that's what it means, having the, our boxing license, that means that our hands are registered, I guess. But right. I don't know about that. And obviously, I've never been in any trouble to find out either, so. <laughs> right. right. Now, um, how do you get your box, boxing license? What's the Man, problem? so this is this is the other thing that I don't understand about it either. It's so simple. You literally pay seventy five dollars. Okay, you can box. That's it, right? And so <laughs> it's yeah, it's something so simple. So I'm like, anybody right. can have their box. That don't mean they know how to fight, right? Right. I can go get my, you know, like somebody that hasn't boxed. They can get their boxing license today and say they're getting a fight, or they considered a, their hands are registered. They're considered a deadly weapon. They don't know how to fight. They haven't. They, you know what I'm saying? Right. Right. And that's another misconception a lot of people have too about like the pros. So obviously, you know, I'm going through the amateur circuit, right? Um, trying to go for the Olympics. Um, a lot of people think that like pros are it's just because somebody's pro does not make them like better than me, right? Does that make sense? Right. Yeah. I'm telling you, I'm telling you from inside the at the top level of amateurs will beat. 80% of the pros until you get to like the top level, the top tier of the pros where you're fighting for uh, world titles. Mm-hmm. Everybody else, no, like the top, top amateurs would beat almost like I said, 75% of the pros. And so that's a little misconception that, that a lot of people have because to, because to be a pro, the exact same thing. You can be a pro fighter right now and you can go get a pro fight right now. You know, so it doesn't. There's not much qualifications. It's not like anything being like a pro football player. You got to go through college and go through to be selected in the NFL draft. It's not like that at all. So that's right. another little kind of misconception a lot of people don't know about. It makes there's sense. no there's like I'm saying there's no qualifications really for you to be a a pro fighter. Right. Okay. Okay. Makes sense. Now I want to go back to why you chose an HBCU. So. Well, you know, I I did a little research and I see that you're you know plugged with the with the Rattlers. I'm I'm a, I'm a guy. Oh know? no way! You went to you went to FAMU. Yeah, I went to FAMU. Man. No way! When did you graduate FAMU? Oh six. 
Dude, did you know I got to ask you knew my sister? <laughs> That's what my sister. No, no, no. I'm tripping. My sister graduated high school then. Okay, so. So she probably was right after me. Yeah, she was right after you then. She she was in the band, so she played it um, for the 100. And uh, yeah, yeah, she said she was after you. I'm, I'm thinking when she graduated high school. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, okay. All right, all right. Keep my bad. Keep going. Yeah. So you, graduated you know, I just wanted to figure out, like, why did you choose an HBCU and why didn't you choose FAMU? <laughs> you know, I had to throw it out. There, you gotta know? throw it out. You know, because your family's, you know, fam, you sister, fam, you mothers. Yeah, my my, your mother's my from dad. Tallahassee. My, my dad. Yeah, so my all my family's from Tallahassee. Um, so my sister, my sister went there. My dad went there. All his friends went there. You know, and uh. Well, you know, like I said, I grew up in Texas my entire life. Uh, okay, right. And so my brother went to TSU, another HBCU, and mm-hmm. I went to his rival college. Uh, remember, I told you I stayed with him. He almost kicked me out when I got really? accepted to PV. Yeah, I almost got kicked out. <laughs> I almost got evicted. I'm like, I just got here. <laughs> right. I just moved in. You had to move all my stuff out. Right. But uh, so – my reason and the same thing for for all my family my dad which is like a secret my dad i told you is white and he is a big fan of hbcus big fan like he loves the, the culture the environment and that's and i think that's what kind of how he grew into it and um same thing for my brother my brother remember i told you was he was a a, a star football player back when he was in high school but mm-hmm. tsu was the only one that actually gave him an opportunity and it was a, a life-changing experience for him um, like I said, we grew up in a little small town. So when he came out to Houston and and, and the environment and, and how much connections that he made at the HBCU, you know, mm-hmm. changed his life. It's not a decision he ever regretted. And that's something that he's talked about too. Like, man, should I have went and risked and try to walk on at like UT or something? And right. he looks back and said, hey, absolutely not. Like the the journey that he went on through at HBCU was 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 so was so rewarding and so worth it that that he don't regret his decision at all. Right. And Obviously, for me, um, on the other hand, I had a, originally I started at a, at a community college, okay. and um, before I went into uh, the nursing program at PV, and I had got all my um, and I because I was trying to find out what I wanted to do where I was and I was doing my boxing thing. I started boxing when I was in Colleen, and it was about time for me to 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 go out to a bigger um, to a bigger hub, I guess, where I can network and and, and make my connections as well, and. Uh, PV was was the only nursing school that had accepted me too. Um, obviously, you know, I had applied a couple of different places, but they were the first ones that had accepted me. And I met lifelong friends and 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 mentors that'll be with me through the rest of my journey. So it's another great decision on our part, you know. So, right. man, I'm thankful I went to HBCU. Nice, nice. Why did you Why did you study nursing? That's a, that's you know. People have asked me that, and and, and the answer is always, this is this is just what I knew. Like as far I can remember back, that's what I always said I was going to do. Right. So I remember my dad always brought it up to me. It was always, you know, it's a, it's a great field. They need men. Um, it's always a, it's always adapting. Pays well. Yeah. You're going to always be needed. Technology is not going to not going to pass over this. Uh, you know this this career field. Technology is going to probably take over a lot of jobs, but they're always going to need nurses. 
Right. And that was something that always stuck with me. It was just a, just a smart career move to solidify my future. That was always important to me, make sure that my future was secured and that I had all my all my things in order, you know. So um, as far as I remember, nursing has always been what I wanted to do. And and it became even more apparent, too, like I said, when I was started doing a little more research on the human body and trying to figure out stuff about myself or weight loss and stuff. And I started diving a little bit more into that. And so science, science ended up being always being my thing. Uh, and so everything, everything worked out perfect though. You know, I did what I had to do and, and I'm glad I, I'm glad I went on to this path. Like I said, it's a rewarding career to be a part of. Right. That, that makes sense. Um, so you're the number one ranked heavyweight amateur, correct? Mm -hmm. All right. What's your workout regimen like? What's somebody that wants to, that aspires to be where you're at one day? What is it looking like Monday through Sunday during off times and then Monday through Sunday when you're training for a fight? For a fight. So obviously those, those change. Um, so I, I guess I can start before I had made uh, the U.S. team, um, and I was working out constantly. You know, so I work out about uh, six times a week, uh, and then I basically sometimes I work out two times a day, uh, strength and conditioning, and I always do my boxing workout. So I, I would be end up working out for like four, four or some hours a day, okay. four or five hours a day, and obviously rest and recovery is probably doesn't get as much attention as it, as it should and how important it is for your body. But obviously when you, when you're, when you're working out, you're breaking down all your muscles and you had to give them a chance to rebuild. Um, but I, I would do about four four or five hours, um, every day, six days a week. Um, and, and like I said, it always, it always changes. I feel like my workout routine is always, it's never, and that's crazy because I like structure. Structure has always been so important to me. Right. Sure. Right. Like, cause I always, you know, like I said, my dad was in military structure was, is, is like a nice balance. So you know what you need to do and where you have to be, where you have to go. And, but when I think back on all the years, um, it's always been changing just whatever needed to be done. For example, if I needed to bulk up and get bigger, I would adapt my workouts to doing that. And I would adapt. And the times would always change depending on what my coach's schedule is or if I had anything else going through that day. Or when I was in school, everything was always different. I got up at five to go do my strength and conditioning and I would do boxing after I got out of school and studied. Um, but I'll tell you what it is now. So we normally work out two times a day. So when I go back up to camp, I leave to go back up to camp on September 6th. And we're, I actually have a fight lined up uh, in October. We got two tournaments we're gonna go to. So we leave uh, for Germany, September 23rd. Okay. And we'll be there for a couple of weeks, and then we'll end up fighting in Germany October 14th through the 17th. Okay. A little small tournament, but get us to kind of – we haven't fought since January, so it gives us a little time to shake some rust off. And then we're going to France immediately after that for the October 18th. I think we'll fight, I think, October 27th and October 31st in France. Okay. So in the meantime, we're going to go to camp. And we work out twice a day. Uh, we'll weigh in in the morning, and then we'll do about two hours, about hour and a half, two hours of our boxing workout, and then 
uh, a little bit later the other day. We'll do about an hour of um, cardio or strength and conditioning, depending on what it is for that day. And it's sometimes that changes when we got to spar and stuff, but it's usually kind of that, that schedule uh, six days a week. Right. Darius, I want some nuts and bolts. I want some. I put 225 pounds on the barbell and I bench that seven times. Then I recover for 45 seconds. Then I jump rope for two minutes. Tell me like exactly. Oh, you want the exact? Like, exactly. I want, I want to know like really what you do because it's a it's an 18 year it's a guy that started boxing at 18 that's listening to this 10 years from now mm-hmm. after you you know and he wants he wants he wants the formula and he wants the formula he wants to be 23 and the number one heavyweight okay all right so then i then i start what i'm doing right now so basically what i did today is i biked i, I got a bike so i had bike to the gym uh which is about not that far like six miles away Okay. So I bike to the gym, and now then uh, uphill. Oh man, I'm, I'm through the Houston streets, man. So it kind of changes a little bit, but it's pretty. It's pretty even. I, I feel like. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty even. I feel like the roads are rough, though, man. I'm not gonna lie to you. <laughs> and the cars are reckless. Very dangerous. I'm not gonna lie. I'm they not gonna are. lie. Dude, they don't they care do. about me, man. I'm like, yo, like <laughs> seriously, two lane road. I'm on, like, say I'm, like, I'm the very edge of the right lane, and a car is coming towards me. I'm going towards traffic. They don't move lanes to get, like, further away from me. They stay, like, right next to me. I'm like, man, come right. on, man. Can you at least just – like, you could have got over. They're right. right. And respected, like, man, they don't care. I almost got hit plenty of times. But, um, you know, I was trying to say safe for the most part. But, yeah, so I, I bike to the gym, and a lot of stuff we're doing is more technical work anyway. So, uh when I get to the gym, you know, I, I get my stuff on and uh, I started doing a little different routine. You know, a lot of people normally do the jump rope. I end up switching that now. And what I kind of do is um, I, basically I call it bouncing around the ring. It's kind of hard to, to describe without demonstrating it. But um, basically, basically kind of the same movement as as I'm jumping rope, but I'm making it more applicable to boxing. So I basically go around the ring. And I'm still kind of doing the same motion like I'm jumping rope. Mm-hmm. but I'm using more of my feet. So it still builds my legs. At the end, of my legs are still burning. And so I'll go around the ring, the entire ring. Then I work the different angles that I would do when I'm fighting, going backwards, diagonal, backwards, forward, forward, diagonal, forward, other way, diagonal. And it's more, it makes more logical sense to do it that way instead of jumping rope because this is more, like I said, applicable to boxing. This is something that I would actually do when I'm fighting. And that's kind of how I train as well, too. I don't do the choreographed mitts anymore. Okay. A lot of stuff is very, I don't call it spontaneous. I'm trying to figure out the best word for it, but it's very reactive, I guess. So my coach also has boxed before. And so when we do mitts, we don't do one, two, three, one, one, two, where he calls out these certain choreographed numbers. He's practically in there fighting with me, but he has on mitts, though. He has right. on mitts, but he's in there fighting. And then when open has come, that's when I throw my shots. Well, I'm working, it will tell me certain things that I'm working on for that moment if I'm working on uh, throwing these certain combinations. And and he'll mimic that, and he'll kind of make it seem like I'm, I'm going against a real fighter that's that I have to actually react against. And that, to me, makes better results than doing the choreographed stuff. Um, and so, uh, anyways, after I do, the, do, do my bound, I do, like, about two rounds of that, and um, – then I start trying to shake loose. So I do another round. 
of really kind of defense moving, so I'm really just slipping. Mm -hmm. I work my feet, switching angles, and then I just work my slips, not mm -hmm. throwing any punches just yet. And then eventually I start progressing. So next round, I start shadow boxing with just the jab, working my feint, still slipping, but working the jab, and then slowly start adding. Then I do a, a full shadow box round where everything combined. Anyway, we do about 12 rounds of work, and then uh, I put the gloves on with my coach, and like I said, we'll do that same those same kind of drills. So those change every day, okay. but it's all based on what, what he thinks I need to work on for that day. And then um, in between that, so we'll do about a couple rounds of that. Then we'll go to doing uh, two rounds of abs, which he controls. So he'll tell me what I'm doing for the three minutes, 30-second break. It's, it, but it is different ab exercises. It's not like, uh, yeah, do do crunches for three minutes. Now I'll switch it up. So we'll start with doing uh, doing, doing um, bicycles. Then we'll go back doing six inches. Then flutter, then open, close. So they then we'll sit up, do crunches. So they change, you know, it's up to his discretion. But we'll do two rounds of that, three minutes, and then um, uh, we'll get back to doing our boxing. Same, so the same drills that we're working on, and uh, probably I'll do another four rounds of that. Then we'll do legs, where we'll do lunges around the ring. So you basically just lunge around the ring for the three minutes. Then we'll do a squat round. So it's all to build up the build up our legs. So our legs, because once your legs are going, everything's going, you know. So everything. just trying to build up that that endurance. And so we need to do about twelve rounds of work. And then once I finish with that, then I'll um, then I'll bike back home. Okay. And then so that's the, my typical kind of boxing routine kind of workout. Obviously, right. it changes pretty constant. So it's hard to give you give give a formula of what I do because I don't even know what I'm doing. You know, it's whatever my coach decides what I'm doing, that's what I do. You know, so it always kind of changes. But that's kind of the typical, I guess, where, you know, mostly that's what we do. Right. And then um, a lot of times, you know, I had to do my strength and conditioning. And that I can't explain at all. Like me trying to explain what we do for a strength and conditioning, like I can't explain. There's no routine for that again. You know, everything is – but everything I do is real explosive workouts. Right. Um, usually, once I do my strength and condition, that um, is at this one gym called Bell's Life, and uh, they have these Kaiser machines, and everything I kid you not is it's all like resistance. There's no there's no weights, and everything is ooh, a real explosive workouts. Nothing is real like real push. Oh, I rarely do any bench press. If I do squats, I rarely do any heavy squats. A lot of times, power cleans are are, yeah. are the more more fundamental exercise that a lot of uh, explosive athletes will work on. Um, but I'm telling me trying to explain those workouts to you, like yeah, it's it's way beyond beyond my scope. Okay. <laughs> to right. kind of talk about and break down, right. I, I'm kind of I'm kind of real like a like a I have a mind of my own, and it, like I said, all the stuff makes sense. But I kind of am like a tool. I have people that I trust that are molding me and, and, and leading the way for me. And I was like, and I wanted to make sure I, I said that, that I have mine of my own. Cause if it doesn't make sense to me, I'm like, after they, you, you got to explain what I'm doing. It has to have a purpose and it has to have meaning behind it. Right. And if it doesn't make sense, then why, what are we doing that for? No, no, we're not doing that. We got to do something else. But like I said, I trust them. So anything they say, they run it by me. That's, that's what I do. Right. That, that makes sense. Now, 
um, I was playing basketball against Adrian Broner, and you know, I'm, <laughs> I forgot I'm, he's from I forgot he's from Ohio. He's from yeah. Yeah, I'm one of those, um, you know, weightlifting guys. Yeah. So, you know, you know, as a weightlifting guy, we think we strong and, you know, all that stuff. And then I'm trying to back him down and he's small. I'm only 5'9", so I'm not a big guy. But, you know, I'm 210 at the same yeah. time. I'm trying to back him down and he wasn't straining. He, I couldn't budget. <laughs> like, how does a boxer not lift weights and be that strong? Man, I think um, I think I think the best way to kind of answer that is there's some people that I know that are like real country strong, right? Yeah. And yeah. have you ever met somebody that's just like country? Like they don't lift weights either, but like the the constant stuff they do on a daily basis just makes them mold their body to 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 be strong like that. And now, regardless, we not be we may we may not be lifting weights. But a lot of stuff that we're doing, like we're not lifting any heavy weight. But a lot of stuff we're doing is 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 still very explosive and still powerful. Like, man, I'm telling you, go go punch a bag for 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 just a couple rounds, and I'm telling you, feel your arms gonna fall off. Shoulder <laughs> right. gets so heavy just from punching that bag, and it's like, man, this this inanimate object is making me this tired. But yes, yeah, so we still we still we still getting that same type of work. Um, Age Brothers may be just rare, but he may be just strong like that. <laughs> right. I don't know. I can't speak for Adrian, Adrian Broner, but um, and I don't know what, what his workouts normally consist of either. I mean, I think everybody's different. We're all individuals. So we all do individual things to meet our needs, but. Right. That makes sense. That makes sense. So you work out, you did that. Then you came home. What did you eat? Or what did you eat before you went to work out? And then what did you eat after you got home? You Man, know? honestly, okay, on a normal basis, I would say right now I haven't ate anything right now. Right. <laughs> I haven't <laughs> ate anything right now. But actually, I just went to the store. And so a lot of stuff that I normally eat now, I just bought a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of fruit. Okay. And I bought some yogurt. Um, but it's best, I, a lot of meat, too. I'm a, I'm a big meat eater, but I try to eat a little more clean. Um, but... A lot of times what I normally eat before uh, in the morning when it's time for me to actually get the fight ready, mm -hmm. um, I always usually eat oatmeal in the morning. Okay. It sounds very bland and very nasty, don't it? But <laughs> it it that's just what I grew up. I don't, I don't necessarily like it. It's more called tactical eating. Okay. Like oatmeal is all right, but I just know it's, it gives my carbohydrates for the morning to kind of start my day. So I always ate oatmeal in the morning. And then um, – I said all based upon my workouts, but a lot of times I try to get, eat a little bit of fruit before I before I go work out. After I work out, I usually like yogurt because it's got it's got a little protein in it um, to be just like a little snack before I actually eat. Um, but a lot of stuff I usually kind of cook now. I'm gonna probably cook in a minute. It's probably um, I got some chicken thawed out, so yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and try to cook the chicken. I got some uh, some vegetables I'll probably make too with some rice. Real basic and real bland. I'm not the best cook, but <laughs> it gets the job done. I, I, yeah, I make I make I make what I can make and, and I get done when I get done. But um I try to eat clean for the most part, especially when I'm getting ready for a fight. I think uh, and especially this is big, I'm talking about for people that, that are trying to lose weight, is what I realize is diet is everything. So diet is about eighty percent 
of losing weight and, and working out is about the 20%. Right. Obviously, you burn a lot of calories from working out, but um, I, I remember I realized I was working out so hard. Like, I don't think you understand. Like, I was – the workouts was intense and long. Mm-hmm. Long and intense workouts, and I I have a bad problem of eating very bad, very unhealthy, right? And I realized that I wasn't losing nothing. Like, I couldn't lose a single pound, a single ounce. And I couldn't understand. I was like, man, it don't make no sense. I'm working out so hard. Right. And I just, it was a diet, man. Like, no matter how hard you work out, if you're eating, if you're eating that bad and unhealthy, you're never going to lose any weight. So right. really the best way about going about it is is diet. And, and that was something that I implemented a lot when I was getting ready for fights and when I was trying to get down in weight, when I was trying to lose weight. So my first initial thing of losing weight, I, I, I made – I made the same meal over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I made like this little stir fry. So I had all my rice, my vegetables, and my, my chicken or, or turkey or uh, fish or whatever it was. I made the same stir fry uh, every day. Mm-hmm. And I just I would just change up the meat that I put in. I'd eat, like I said, either chicken or turkey or, or fish or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I made changes to some of the vegetables and stuff. But I made literally the same thing. And I'm that was my meal prep. And I made those and I would eat it like twice a day. If I ever got hungry, I'd eat, I would eat some nuts. And like I said, I had oatmeal in the morning. And that was kind of the basis of, of uh, especially when I was coming up, that was the basis of my, my diet right there. Right. They say the best dieters eat the same meal over and over. Yeah, and it's easy to make, too. Now, it's it, it lacks a little creativity and a little uniqueness <laughs> to it, you know, but one thing that is a kind of probably eating the same thing every day is you probably are missing a lot of uh, vitamins and, and nutrients that you probably would get when you add variety. Right. So that's probably one of the kind of downfall of, of eating the same thing every day, obviously, unless you, unless you make it where it's, it has all the uh, essential vitamins and, and nutrients that you need. But sometimes that's hard unless you have a little, you know, you kind of change it up a little bit. Right. Makes sense. Do you study your opponents? <sighs> if I study them, I usually study, um, and it's hard because, like I said, we're in the amateur circuit, so a lot of times we don't know who we're fighting. Mm-hmm. But so, say for example, I'm at a tournament and, and I'm going to fight somebody that I don't know of before. I don't like to. I don't like to go watch tape of them, right? right? Because one thing, they're a different fighter from they were back then, right? They're going to change. Now a lot of the tendencies stay the same, but what I came to realize is they're not going to fight me the same way. I guarantee it. I've watched, for example, there's this guy that I've really talented. I fought him uh, three times now and I watched him fight other people and he utterly dominated. Like he, like he's a real aggressive, like real aggressive style, real brawler where he's catching shots, throwing them. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, man, that's crazy. He changed his style. Cause he didn't fight me like that. Right. I fight him again and he never fights me like that. Like, I, I was watching him fight throughout the whole tournament until it was time for me to fight him. He did not fight me like that at all. It was a whole different style of fighting. And I'm like, so I guess what I'm trying to get at at the end of it is is nobody they, – they're not going to fight me the same way that they fought that guy. Why? I'm not that guy. Right. Yeah, right. They're going to fight completely different. Um, right. And, for example, like, sometimes when you watch fights of other people, they're fighting somebody, and it's a whole highlight show. Yeah. They're beating the brakes off of this guy, right? And so sometimes I get in your head, like, man, this dude is this dude is good, this dude is that. 
and he started getting a little like uh you see a little nervous like man this dude but no he's just the guy he fought was was you're not that like i said i'm not that guy so i don't i don't really like to watch you know if i do like for example what i'm doing now um for people that may potentially fight uh overseas I'll try to. I may. I may watch a little bit of them to kind of see what they have, what their kind of style is now. But it, it gets any closer, I'm not going to watch it. Right. And I was the same way. I didn't really want to watch my opponents. I'm like, I'm just going to do what I do, and you know, if I do what I'm supposed to do, that should be. Hey, enough. that was the other thing I was just going to say. I was going to. I was going to. I was going to say that at the end of it, just do what you do. Right. You know, you train. You train to do what you do to to fight any style that you come across against. Right. Or same for you. You train and you, and you practice what you're supposed to do to, to to beat anybody, no matter what they got coming. As long as you do your thing, they're not gonna be able to stop you. Right. You know, a buddy of mine. We all we're always talking sport. We're always talking everything. Yeah, yeah. We're talking about Michael Jordan and Willie Mays, and he's the one that brought it up that you know hands make a difference in sports. Period. And I was just saying, you talk. Do you have big hands? <laughs> I got average size hands. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever seen a boxer with small hands that was good? I have actually. Really? I have, but I do think hand size is important. I think that is big and uh, uh, punch of power. I feel like. Yeah. I think people have very large hands have some uh, pretty incredible power. Right. So, like Kawhi Leonard, to have some crazy. I'm power. pretty sure Kawhi Leonard. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the claw. Can, <laughs> pretty sure the claw can throw a punch. I'm. I almost probably guarantee it. <laughs> right. Ridiculous. I think I went to some museum or something. They had like his handprint, like up on the wall to see how your hand compared to his, and and, and unmatched. I mean, yeah. his hand was like like two of mine. Yeah, <laughs> it's huge. And if you ever look at any of the ball players in NBA, usually they have, you know, usually they got big hands. But you yeah, know, like some of them didn't. Like Kobe does didn't have big hands. If you notice, he didn't have those paws like Jordan, where he could do a lot with the ball. He had to, yeah. you know do it with two hands and then actually um, i didn't notice that till you just said it <laughs> yeah and john stockton you know the great point guard he had really big hands mm-hmm. you know so you know they they do make a difference but i was just i was just wondering from a yeah, box yeah. i think for box standpoint like i said i think that's not scientifically proven that's just my personal opinion i think people i think that have large hands do have right do have power. i'm not saying people who have small hands don't have power mm-hmm. but i think if you have large hands you to the high percentage that you guys that you got some you got some power behind it. Right, right, makes sense. Tell me about when you won the Golden Gloves. How did that whole thing go? Oh man, that was so that was the the first big thing that I had won. Um, one thing about when I was in school, I didn't have the opportunity to go to a lot of these big tournaments. Uh, that that I that I wish I I could have. Um, the reason being is because obviously, you know, nursing school is very demanding and very challenging. I didn't have the opportunity. I had to go to clinicals. I had clinical hours that I had to be to graduate. And so I, I couldn't make I couldn't make those trips for these week long tournaments to go out and compete. And I don't know how it happened, but 2018, my schedule just so happened to free up and I was able to go. Mind mm-hmm. you, I was fighting at 178 at the time. Right. And. I just thought that I was going to be able to. So how Golden Gloves works is they have regional, state, and national. So they had the Houston Regional Golden Gloves. And if you win that, you go to Texas State Golden Gloves. 
You win that, then you represent Texas at National Golden Gloves, right? Mm -hmm. And so I honestly thought how my schedule was going to work, I was only going to be able to do the Houston Golden Gloves, right? Well, competition was better at 201 than it was at 178. So I decided, well, I'm going to just go ahead and I'll just do, I'll just fight at 201 and, uh, you know, I get some better experience there. So I won. I won the Houston Golden Gloves. And then somehow, I don't know how it happened, my schedule freed up. You know, something changed around with, with our classes. And I was able to go. And I was like, oh, shoot. You know, I, thought, I wish I did 178, but whatever. I went to Texas Golden Gloves. I won there. And literally, uh, the semester ended like the the same week that I was going to leave. So, uh, like, the semester ended like on a Thursday. I left to go to Nationals on like that Saturday. So everything just so happened to work out perfectly. Right. And, uh, man, it was, it was, a I had, I had a, at that point in time, there was something that was going on. I had a huge chip on my shoulder and I just, I had to prove that, that I belonged, that I was, that I was that talented. And, uh, so I went out there and I had this certain drive about me that was, that couldn't be stopped. It was crazy. Like I was, I was so focused. And so that was the one of the terms I told I had to fight five times. So I fought on a Monday. I was off on Tuesday. I had a, I didn't fight on Tuesday. Then I fought Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and um, man, it was it was so tough on my body, man. But and this was this tournament was in it was in Omaha, Nebraska, and uh, so I, I ended up doing my thing, man, and uh, fought in the finals, and I won. And it was a blood. I had my family there. My family was out there with me, so it was a big celebration. It was my first, like I said, big achievement in boxing uh, up to that point. And um, <laughs> crazy after that, like I said, I had my fourth and fifth semester and I was out of boxing for the next like two for like the next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was actually literally the next year. So because I graduated in May. So I was out of boxing for like a year from that point. And then when I when I got back into it, that's when I had made it to the uh, to Olympic trials. And that's when I won. Big deal, man. Congratulations, man. Dude, I appreciate that, man. It's been, it's been a journey. It's been a journey for sure. <laughs> You're right, you're right. That's what's up. So let's say somebody wants to start boxing. What's the first step? Biggest thing, man, is finding a coach you trust. I, I would say, which is hard, hard to come across, man, because a lot of it's a lot of shady business, man, and it's hard to find people you really that really got your best interest like that. Yeah. But that was the first thing you had to do was find a gym, right? And hopefully, they got a, a good coach there that you can trust. That would be the first thing. So you, you just walk in the gym and say, "Hey, I want to box." Pretty much. Okay. <laughs> That's okay. pretty much. Like, how do I sign up? You know, I want to need to tell them what you want to do. If it, it's many people want to do box for cardio and fitness, or if you say I, I'm trying to compete, I want to I want to be a boxer, then the coach will get you on that path on what you want to do. Right. So that's step one. The most important step, though. It's like I told you, it's having the passion for it. You got to find out if you love this or not, if this is what you really what you really want to do. You'll find it quickly, I'm telling you. When you, when you get punched in the face for the first time, you're like, mm, <laughs> you'll find out pretty quickly if this is something that you're going to love or not, if, if this is what you really want. So that's the most important thing besides finding a, a coach you trust. But Right. You know, I want to ask you a question, but I can't ask you because of uh... – it, I, I'll have to ask you offline, but <laughs> I'll tell you what the question is. And the question is, if if you were fighting you, what weakness would you exploit? So don't don't tell me. Don't tell me. <laughs> you know, I don't well, that was a good question, man. I'm glad you asked me. Now I got to think about it. 
I really got to think about it. I'm trying. I'm not, and I say I got to think about it. Sometimes that comes off like, well, I think I don't have any weaknesses. I'm like, no, but I never actually really thought about that, man. What's my biggest weakness? Right. right. All right. Well, ask me offline again. Let me think of an answer. Right. I'll ask you offline. <laughs> now, for let's say someone that was me that was a shorter boxer, somebody that's 5'9. Is the most effective punch, would it be that uppercut or would it be like that overhand? You talking about for like for you to use like against me? Yeah, say I'm fighting a taller you fighter. You trying? You want me to teach you how to beat me up, man? What's <laughs> <laughs> trying to get a little tactics? <laughs> you know my hands are brittle. You know they break. <laughs> hey, you think you're gonna break my jaw, but you end up breaking your hand. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, I think the best the best as I say. I mean, you've seen what Mike Tyson's done in his career. Yeah. And personally, I would say would be the overhand right. And I'm trying to remember watching Tyson. I don't remember like he would throw he had some mean uppercuts. He would throw this hook to the body, uppercut to the head. Like, oh, oh. Vicious. He, boom, boom. Vicious. But stereotypically, like especially like a lot of Mexican fighters that have like this real style where they're coming for like this, it would be like a feint with the jab and then come with the overhand right. Yeah. That to me. For shorter fighters, it's more effective than the uppercut. Um, okay. You can, I feel like you can exploit it a little bit more, and you can throw it at a farther range. But right. a lot of times, shorter fighters want to be inside, so I can see where uppercut would be uh, a, a better shot. But knockout punches would be the overhand right for sure. Right, makes sense. In your career so far, have you noticed the difference in athletes that love the sport? Or are just good at it because in getting to know some different athletes, especially in basketball, it was some guys that were just good, but they really love it. And the ones that are good and love it are the ones that you know go to that. Next yeah, level. those are the ones at that at the pinnacle of the sport. Yeah, what, people what that are, there's too many people. There's so many people that are so talented, man, and they and they use their talent and it carries them. I mean, it carries them far too. I'm not gonna say it doesn't. Right. Carries a far off talent alone, but some people don't have that drive and work ethic. Yeah, to make that next to make that next level, you know. Yeah, and you well, know, because I think like sometimes guys that are in the NBA, like if I got there, I'd be like, man, I would just be working twenty four seven just because I love it. I think it's just some guys that are just you know just talented and they don't work hard, and then it ends up showing. And the one thing I, I realized too about. Um, People getting burnt out. Have you ever got burnt out in basketball? You know what? I did. After my senior year, I played every day probably since eight or nine years old, and we lost a state championship game, and I didn't touch a ball for a year. Hey, Didn't even touch one. I went. I was down at FAMU, and guys didn't even know I played basketball. Yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I bet they was shocked. Man, I can imagine seeing their faces after they finally seen you play. When I – Man, I came out there. I was I even hiding it from us, man. <laughs> yeah, I used to come three feet behind the line shooting it. Good, good. Like he was calling it, and just you know, and they didn't. You know, <laughs> man, you should have told us this. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, why do they call boxing the sweet science? The sweet science. That's what the sweet science is: hitting and not getting hit. What's the definition behind it? I don't know why they call it a sweet science. Mm, okay. 
I think I think I think it is crazy. I know they called it like a good like a form of art. And I always think like when they call boxing art form, I remember I was thinking like why they call it an art form. Like, it's not wow. I remember I think I asked my brother about this, why they call it art. It was man, but then when you actually watch it, if you ever watch boxing in slow motion and you see like the very like subtle things that people do. Um and that's something me and my coach talk about all the time, like like football. Football is a game of inches. Same thing with boxing. Boxing is like a game of inches and milliseconds, right? For example, someone was working on today. Um, it was like, you know, kind of punching while moving. And like, for example, there was like a certain like little lag of a millisecond from me doing something. And he said, this dude is so small, but it's so important. From this little lag that I take to throw a punch. And, and that, man, there's so many little tips about boxing too. Like some things you even notice, like some, some small like this, right? Somebody throws a punt, somebody, where is the camera at? Somebody's throwing a jab, a lot of people they go, right? They'll go here, they'll go back first before they throw. Biggest mistake, you know, cause it's so easy to telegraph that. I see you going back, I know you're gonna throw the jab. Just that little second is enough for me to react to make my, my, make my move into attack. Yeah. Compared to you just throwing it straight out, you know, you see the difference right. to going. Right. That something so small like that makes the biggest difference, you know. Yeah, and it's probably a lot in boxing that you can't explain. You just have to be out there, and you know, you just totally. Okay, understand. here's another thing. I, I mean, I'm just, I'm I'm just talking today. I'm not normally this big of a talker, but <laughs> me. You know, when you know when you just said that. Uh, it just reminds me, remember I told you, like, some people you haven't boxed before, so you, so you won't understand, right? right? I said about, like, like people that are, are couch coaxes or whatever, like, yeah, box, but you don't know, right? And um, there's something about actually doing it where you, you have more of an understanding of it, right? And I know I always thought about, all right, so here, here here's the here's, here's thing. If anybody ever asked me, what's my game plan, right? They're asking, what's your, that's a pretty common question, right? If any of you going to a fight. Okay, what's your game plan? I my game plan is to win. Right? <laughs> That's my game plan, right? <laughs> and you heard I think it was my who is it? Mike Tyson said that. He said everybody has a plan until they get punched. Right? You heard that saying? Yeah. <laughs> there's like I said there's so many moving parts. Right? You can have a general idea of what you want to do, right? But to actually have a game plan, my game plan is is to be so adaptive, you know. You got to adapt to the situations that come. And a lot of stuff comes so naturally. And this is same thing with any other sport. Repetition, 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 repetition. Right? Yeah. yeah. We, we repeat so many things. You see so many things when you happen in the sparring over the years of you training. Right? As you're sparring, you see a certain look that you see. Right? Automatically triggers a certain reaction for you to do. And right? So when we're training, you're trying to train your reactions. Because when you see a certain thing, your reaction be to do one of the certain things, whatever it is, right? So a lot of times when I'm fighting, I rarely, like all the stuff just comes naturally. I don't have to think about it to do it, right? Right. You know, I think it takes two. Oh, my gosh. Do you watch Dragon Ball Z? It's a stretch. Okay, never mind. <laughs> so, but when you, when you think about stuff, it, it, it takes too much time. You know, right. so that's another little split second to have to think, okay, he, he just did this. Now I should do this. That right. thought comes across your head. Now you try to do it. It's too late. You got to be instinctive. One, yeah, it's got to be instinctive. So right. I'm pretty sure, again, all sports 
are pretty much similar, right? In a sense of, I guess, just being an athlete is, is similar. You know, we all have the some of the, share some of the same feelings and same ideas about stuff. You probably have the same thing where when you've been playing basketball, you had these certain natural reactions you don't have to think about. It just it just right. happens, right? Yeah. I don't play. I can't relate. So I don't know. I don't know basketball, but <laughs> I love basketball. Like I love watching it, but I I can't play. I'm one of those people, man. I'm tall. I'm like I'm like six two. So right. I never like going to the rec. I never like going to the rec to play basketball. Like I love playing basketball for fun. Right. People at the rec don't play for fun. Right. They yeah, play. They play. They're serious. And and I'm a competitive person, so I know I suck. So I'm like, <laughs> you know, these people are trying to play for contracts out of here on the rec, and I'm like. <sighs> So they see me come up. They all, you know, I'm tall. I'm, you know, I'm decent. I, you know, basketball six two is not completely tall, but in the rec is tall. Yeah, yeah, the rec, the rec is tall. Because <laughs> right. somebody six six, you should be in the, you know, what I'm saying you should already be playing in the college and NBA or something. But right. um, yeah, six two is pretty tall at the rec, and, and so they look at me thinking I can play, and I, I always tell them, <laughs> you don't want to pick somebody else, big dog. <laughs> You know what? You're probably tenacious on D and a good rebounder. That's it, man. That's it. Okay, so what I will tell you is I think I am a good person to play with. Yeah. In a sense, because I know my role. A lot of people have ego problems. They want to, they want to, you know, they want the ball because they want to score. No, I don't want to score. Don't pass me the ball. <laughs> if you pass me the ball, I'm pass right back to you. Right? But I will I will play defense, mean and foul. And then <laughs> And then I'm gonna go up and I'm gonna get boards. That's, that's it. That's the only thing you should expect from me. Don't right. give me the ball. I'll miss a wide open layup. <laughs> I know. I know how it is. Yeah, I know how it is. You know what? Then you. You know what? Then we need you on the team to be the enforcer too. If they got somebody talking, we can say, "Hey, my guy." Hey. You know. Hey, watch your mouth. <laughs> okay. See, that's where you got. I can't even be that. I told you I'm passive. I don't like conversation. They man, look, we just talk it out. We can just talk it out. It was a misunderstanding. Right, we just got to talk. Yeah, it was a misunderstanding, man. Right. You know, my hands are registered, so I don't want to go. To, <laughs> I don't want to go to jail. But uh, yeah. Well, was, actually, oh, then I said screens too, man. So I think I'm pretty. I'm a role player. I think I'm pretty valuable. You always need those guys. I'm a. I could be a. Draymond, I could be a Draymond Green. Yeah, you're definitely a hundred million dollar man. There's <laughs> <laughs> what do you want when it's all said and done? I want to be messing with the greats, man. Yeah, that's that's what I want to know. Like, what do you really want your legacy to be? I want to be messing with the greats. I remember there was this thing I seen. I think I was scrolling on social media or something, and I seen it had like a draft list, like a fantasy draft for boxing. Like, if you were to you know, draft these boxers to be on your fantasy team. Anyways, I want to be mentioned with them. I said, man, I want to be on this list. Yeah. I want to go down where people are like, man, this dude, this dude, is, this dude is great. Right. And outside of boxing, though, besides that, that's selfish for me. But outside of boxing, I do want to be able to, to inspire the people because I think it's important. Uh, I guess what I'm getting, I've seen too many people growing up going down the wrong path. And I think a lot of those people can be saved, you know. Um, I was watching this thing. I can't remember what it was called. It was like this documentary. But basically what it was about was uh, about these kids who were on long-term sentences. I'm talking about 10-plus years. Some people had life sentences, right? And they were giving them a chance. Like they had to go through like a boot camp 
And if they successfully completed the boot camp, they will get out, right? right? And I'm like, man, that's a blessing, right? I'm thinking in my head, like, yo, like that's a that doesn't happen, man. Like, you getting a second chance at life. Some of these kids, man, could not do it. They couldn't handle being talked to that way. They couldn't handle the structure, the discipline that came with it. Right. And they folded and they would get kicked out of the program. There was these like two kids like uh like a week before they, like it wasn't like they didn't have much time left before they were done. And they took the kids out to do community service and they ran away. And I was like, You gotta be kidding me. Like, dude, you were this close, like you were this close and you and you ran away for what? Like you were finna have you finna have your freedom. Anyway, so I watched that man, I was so frustrated. And I just wanted and and it made me think about man, I, I wish I could I wanna be a mentor to 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 certain kids, man, to get them back on track. Um, and, uh, I, man, I guess, you know, the future generation, man, that's that's important, man, because the future generation is our future, right? They're the ones taking care, of, taking care of a lot of us, you know, and I think it's important to have, you know, some people don't have certain role models and, and figures that they can have. So I want to be able to build a platform to help out, like, some kids like that and kind of be able to, if I can give them guidance, network, or anything that I can provide and stuff like that. Uh, to be a mentor to, to certain kids, right. I think that's I think that's, that's that's something that I've always I've always thought about and dreamed about. Something I always wanted to do outside of boxing, obviously, you know. Right. That, that, that's that's good. That's great. We need more of that. Um, you said you want to be listed with the greats. Give me your top five boxes of all time. Oh, this is always the hardest question, and I'm gonna tell you right now. My top five greatest boxes of all time right now. It's not what it was yesterday, and it's not who's going to be tomorrow. It always changes. <laughs> now, it's let always me tell you about who I may like in the in that moment. Yeah, um, let, let me tell you. Let me tell you. I'm the same way with any of my lists, and uh, right now I'm dealing with an issue with my buddies because for the last 20 years I've had someone at the top of my top five rappers list, and he just went to number two. Now it's one Drake. Uh, Tupac too. So I'm having some problems with my boy. Drake, right Drake now. just topped Tupac. <laughs> just topped him, man. And you know, I'm I'm Tupac'd out. <laughs> maybe I'm, you know, prisoner moment. So I feel you on everything changing. You know, next week sure. it may be different. It's going to change, man. Okay, well, I give you my top five boxes, man. You got to give me a top five uh, NBA players. I will. That's 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 fair. Yeah, that's fair. Does, has that does that change too? Is your top five of NBA change? Yeah, because yeah, Luca's up there now. Oh, you put <laughs> come on, <laughs> Luca. I mean, he just he just he just started the NBA. He just had some hella performances though. Right, just got knocked Dude. out the first round. I know, yeah, just got knocked out. Yeah, and, and see, like LeBron, that, that was always a blimp on LeBron's legacy right there. So it's got to be the same thing. LeBron better be a number one, by the way. Like, I mean, you got to go hard for Ohio. No, damn. No, I don't even think I want to hear your top five then. <laughs> top five has now lost credibility for me. <laughs> LeBron's not number one. No. Um, okay, all right, I'll tell you my top five. You can go ahead. Now I guess I hear yours. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't even think it says you're from. A, well, okay. So I think, uh, okay, you're talking about current or all time, right? All time. Um, okay, number one is Andre Ward. Andre was my favorite. I like him. And it's not just, you know, inside. It's always outside boxing, too. Like, I think he's a big role model. Uh, and his eye boxing IQ is, is crazy high. Right. Um, and some of the little stuff he did when he was boxing was 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 so impressive. 
He's the last. He's the last person that got Olympic gold for men, which was was back in two thousand four. Wow. That's how, how you know how we doing this stuff. But yeah, Andre Ward's my my favorite man. I I like I like hearing him talk when he talks. When he talks, I listen. You know what I'm saying? Like he has like uh, something about him. So I'll go Andre Ward number one. He's my favorite. Um, number two, man. This had to be an order. Can I just give you five people? Yeah, you can, you can just give me five. I don't have to be. Yeah, all right, then I'm, I'm gonna go uh, Andre Ward, man. Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, to me was oh, the dude was so vicious, man. So Sugar Ray Leonard, somewhere in my top five. <laughs> and then uh, I'm gonna go with um, man. That's, that's tough. I want to put a Vander Holyfield in there too. I love watching him fight because his tenacity was outrageous. Yeah, like, that dude. That dude was a true warrior, man. Definitely. So I want to put him probably in there somewhere. Um, oh, there's so many good fighters. Okay. Uh, if Tyson's not in there, it's come on, Darius. Tyson has to be in the top. Tyson's, five. Not, Tyson's not in there. You know what I thought you were gonna say? I thought you were gonna say Muhammad Ali had to be in the top five. See, I didn't see Ali, so I didn't see. But almost the only person I seen was Andre Ward. Yeah. <laughs> and I went back and started watching a lot of a lot of their fights and stuff, but. Uh, that's you. You know, everybody was go ahead and put Muhammad Ali in there, but he he was always been the goat for for you know for activist reasons as well too. You know, so definitely that's what makes him the goat, man. Like like I can't imagine being in that time and shoot, we kind of almost a little bit in that time now. We all having our problems now, but right. since me in that time and 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 saying no to the draft, yeah, yeah, I'm not. I don't have problems. They, they didn't do nothing to me. You right. know, I have my problems here with the with the white folk. Man, that was man, that was powerful, man. When you when you when you hear it. So he's he's been the go for other reasons, but I'm not for for actual boxing. I don't think I'm putting my top five. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with um. Oh, I gotta go with uh, Tommy Hearns. And I feel like that's another one that goes kind of with Sugar Ray Leonard, but mm-hmm. I like watching him fight too. I was, I think he's one of kind of the first people I, I watched. And yeah, now I go with somebody current now. Um, there's so many good people current now. Eros, Eros, I'm not gonna go Eros Spence. Uh, I'm gonna go Eros Spence a lot. Okay. Eros, Eros Spence is one of my favorites too, as well. Uh, trying to see if there's anybody else I'm missing. I was gonna I was gonna say Lomachenko because that that boy is so nasty. I don't know if you ever seen Lomachenko fight, but that dude, that dude, so that he comes up and then he turns on you and then yeah, yeah. <laughs> that Lomachenko is no joke. That dude is so cold, man. It's it's hard not to like it, but yeah. All right, so then I named five people, <laughs> right? No particular order. You got to right. give an order though. I need to hear your order. Top five rappers. No, I was talking about NBA players. We gotta give me NBA, NBA players. Okay, I, NBA. Was, I was talking about rappers. So I was trying to get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I need to hear. I need to hear where you have LeBron at, man. I gotta hear this. Top five NBA players. And then uh, you gotta tell me why LeBron's not your number one. Right. Um, Michael Jordan is my number one. All right. Um, reason being, he's competitively great. LeBron is not competitively great. I've seen him quit. He was he's three and six in the finals. Mike's six and oh 
in the finals, then you can't name one person that LeBron made better. When Bosch came to Miami, his numbers went down. When he joined Miami, D-Way's numbers went down. When Kevin Love came to Cleveland, his numbers went down. You can, you can say that he made Kyrie better. Uh, Anthony Davis's numbers are down, but that's still, you know, still an open book there. And it Anthony it, Davis numbers are down? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. My, my, my argument to that, to that one real quick, though, is mm-hmm. the fact that uh, you're talking about he took from their own – they're the superstar on their team, right? And then they come together. Obviously, their numbers are going to – the numbers can't increase. They're already having superstar performances on where they're at because they were by themselves, you know, not to say by themselves, but, you know, they were, su- they're a superstar of that team that they were on. So Bosch, when he was with the Raptors, he was superstar of that team. D Wade was superstar when he was with the heat, you know, mm-hmm. so when they, when you come, when you bring them together, there's no way that their numbers can ever go up, you know, cause right. they just had all-star performances where they were at, you know, um, I you can't, you can't say though that, that he made Kyrie better though. I, 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 I can't argue that, that he did not, I think he did make Kyrie so much better. Uh, Now, that's true. That's true. Only thing is when these guys come, because LeBron holds the ball so much, people don't get into the flow. And when he passes them the ball, he expects them to make something happen or he won't pass them, or he won't keep passing them the ball. So you've got to take take a guy like Steph Curry. Everybody touches the ball on almost every play. Yeah, I think that's just the system they run, man. And they yeah. do, man. man they, they ball movement is so impressive, man. Everybody touches it by the time they get down to the court, and somebody's always going to be open. And somebody right. always ends up open. And I remember watching the, the series, and I'm like, oh, my, why is somebody always open? Yeah. That so they, ball. They, 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 they did a good job with that. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, they did a great job. But LeBron's issue may be he's never had a great coach except for Coach K in the summers, you know, during the Olympics. Yeah, the Olympics. Yeah, so so that may so that may be it. So we got Michael Jeffrey Jordan number one. Uh yeah, LeBron, his whole name. <laughs> that, that guy's a that guy's a god, man. That yeah. that guy is different when it comes to playing the game of basketball. Um you have LeBron James number two. You have Kareem Abdul Kareem Abdul Jabbar number three. You have Tim Duncan, number four. Oh, got the fundamentalist at number four. Okay. Fundamental at number four, and you got to go Bill Russell. It's hard to leave Wilt off because I, I love Wilt, but, you know, I, I I beat him up a little bit for his era, and I go that's, Bill that's, Russell. That's, that's so funny when everybody talking about Wilt and they're talking about his numbers are so cartoonish. Yeah, they right. are. I've always, I've always questioned that growing up. I said, like, "Why is Wilt not the 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 greatest of all time?" You see what numbers he's putting up, and I was like, "Yeah, no." They're they right. They everything he's done, and I'm like, "Man, that's so crazy." They're right. And Bill right, I mean, got a, the era does matter. That same thing with boxing. Like a lot of, like a, a lot of boxers. Like I remember, I think Larry Holmes was a was a big one where he came up in a bad era where they yeah. didn't really credit a lot of the heavyweights that he fought, and so it made it it kind of tarnished his his uh. Uh, uh, legacy, I guess you, you can say, you know. And right. So I, I, I can understand that, Will. <laughs> right, right. Then I, you know, I go by Bill Russell because he won so much. Yeah. You know, so. 
one thing I always said about though, like the one Jordan argument that I was going to counter you with too was about the uh, was about um, the six and zero in the finals. Mm-hmm. Is when you look at that, you always got to account for all the playoffs that he played. Period. I mean, all the playoff series that he had. Period. Mm-hmm. Um, damn times he lost in the first round, mm-hmm. or he lost in the Eastern Conference Finals before he made it to the finals. Like he's lost plenty of times in the playoffs before. Right. All I think about LeBron, I think the difference was I think the East East was dominant in that time when Jordan was coming up. So whoever won the Eastern Conference Finals was, was most likely going to win the same thing with how, how it is now. Whoever wins like the Western Conference Finals most likely is going to win That's true. the, 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 the final, NBA Finals, you know, because uh, the East was the, But it's hard for me to, to talk about. I don't like having those kind of debates because you understand how old I am, you right. know. I never got to really watch Jordan play. You know, I see highlights, but they're highlights, right? They're aimed to make him look fantastic and look magical like that, you know, compared to when you actually watch, sit down and watch a watch a full game. Yeah. And you kind of see all the errors and stuff that, that somebody may make, you know? Yeah. So that's why I can't really make – I can't even when you go back talking about Magic or Kareem, never seen him play, right? I've seen highlights. Yeah. And it's different from boxing. I'm not going to go back and watch – they play 82-game seasons, and <laughs> then they right. have a whole playoff series, seven-game or maybe seven-game playoff series. I'm not going to go back and watch all those games. With these with fighters, I can I can go back and watch some some old fights, of, of especially when they're at the top for, for uh, championship fights. I can go back and watch those real quick. Yeah. I'm not going to watch somebody's entire career, <laughs> somebody's entire, you know, NBA career, and they play like 15 seasons. Right. So I don't like to have those arguments about like you know LeBron Jordan debate because you know all right I'm gonna ask you a question. Okay. Do you think how can I do you think the era well we'll just go basketball or we'll just go sports general. Do you think the era that we're living on in now is better than the than previous eras? Yes. When you compare eras, right? Strictly off evolution. So then when you talk about that's why some people don't like to compare eras because, man, it's two different times that people are living in. Yeah, a lot more access. We have a lot more access to resources and technology and research than anybody in the past does. And we study, like Kobe. Use Kobe, for example. Have you seen the video of Kobe and uh, Michael Jordan? It was literally like mirror images of them doing the exact same thing, like in the exact same location. Yes. You know? So we all take things from the past and we add stuff to make us even better. Definitely. So then I guess I was going to get at, since you said yes, or I didn't even get to let you finish, but uh, <laughs> um, how, how how can you put anybody in the past era, eras above the era we're in now? Because I think there's always outliers. And a guy like Bill Russell was an outlier, but he would have issues being 6'9", uh, being a center, mm. you know? Because you know six nine really isn't that tall, but then he may fit in much better now. Yeah, everybody's playing small ball. Kareem, the sky hook was no matter what era, you couldn't stop it. He could hook it from the. He could hook it, from the <laughs> it was unbelievable what yeah. he could. And I saw Kareem play in person. I was at all of Jordan's games where he beat the Cavs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know I've. You know, I've been almost on the same court as LeBron before, you know, kind of came up during the same eras. And I think it's almost like you looking at boxers where you can look at 
the hitman and say, okay, he can still do what he, if he was coming around today, his toughness will shine through because, you know, you have certain things that are going to, that's going to shine through work ethic, toughness, um, ability to adapt within a fight. And I think you get a lot of those same things in basketball. So you would appreciate, you would have appreciated Jordan because he was a great scorer. So average 30 points, but then he dominated on the defensive end because you know how certain boxers are great attackers, but they don't have great defense. Mm -hmm. You have that play great defense that don't attack well. Then Jordan had probably the best footwork during those times. You got three people with great footwork, Jordan, Kobe, Hakeem Olajuwon, Mm -hmm. the best three footwork to me. And, you know, those things would have translated. So when you compare errors, it's tough, but I think you look at certain things that will translate no matter what era you are in. So you know. even when I watch some some boxers, especially in the past, man, like I mean, they will still dominate now. Like I'm looking at how they're fighting right now, and obviously, like I said, it's it's the era, you know. So I think I think you're right when you talk about outliers. I think generally speaking, the era we're in now is better than previous eras. But there are, like you said, outliers mm-hmm. that would be able to to stand in the era that we're in now. Right. And I watched some some of the. Like Hall of Fame boxers, man. I'm like, man, dude, they would still dominate in the era that we're in now. I, I don't care. Even like I said, even though I know they're probably fighting somebody that 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 wouldn't stand in the era. Yeah, I think I think they would still dominate, man. And I mean, obviously, like you said, the ability to adapt, I think, was a a key thing that you had said. Um, right. because yeah, okay, you put Jordan in the area now. Yeah, he's going to adapt and figure out how to play. I mean, he, he said he's got that competitive nature. He said, what do you say? He's competitively great. Yeah. Yeah, he's gonna figure out how to win, and no matter what era he's in, right? What? No matter what. Well, you know, when you broke it down like that, it makes sense to me. So, right. But I, I think, can, I think, I think we can agree though that generally speaking, you know, yeah. that uh, I think the the era we're in now is, you know, like I said, all evolution is better than past eras. Right. Yeah. Seven through twelve on the basketball court is much better than what seven through twelve was back then. Yeah. You still have those top tier guys. Yeah, they, they, yeah. Yeah, but you know, in basketball is so much more popular now too. So everybody's playing it. So you're getting, you know, you get so much competition where you're gonna get a lot more, you know, a lot better people. And then yeah. when I used to study the game and I used to try to figure out different moves to do, I would go home, put the VHS tape in there. And I would tape Allen Iverson's college games so I could try to figure out how to do the crossover. Now, and you know, you're just hitting YouTube and you watching eight videos and yeah, yeah. you know, so that technology allows mm-hmm. you to see everybody. And you know, so I think the technology element of it, you know, man. You know, one day you go, you know, 20 years, you can be like, man, that iPhone we used to have, that was a relic. Yeah, ain't that crazy? I remember I remember back when I was playing uh, PlayStation, and I'm like, these are the best graphics I've ever seen in my life. Now, if you look no at it. No way can it get better than this. <laughs> right. soon. Exactly. Exactly. Crazy how things change. And I'm thinking probably PS5 coming out. I'm still thinking the same thing, even with PS4. Still thinking, I mean, these graphics are freaking, there ain't no way it can get better than this. Right. <laughs> it's somehow they keep getting better. It's like, man. It's keep so getting better. Keep getting better. <laughs> I got one last question for you. What's going on? 
um, you come from a biracial home. What were your conversations like growing up? And what conversations have you had with your parents now with what's going on with the police brutality on black men? So what I guess I had to start with my, my background, I think is important. Like I said, you know, I'm biracial and um, I grew up in Fort Hood. Fort Hood is a military base and it's a uh, it's military accepts everybody. Right? right. And it was a very diverse. There was no if, if blacks were a minority, I didn't know about it. Right. Right. And obviously in the home. You know, I didn't experience any racism. I didn't see any any conflicts, you know. So I when I was growing up, I honestly I didn't know racism existed, and that's honest truth. And until media started covering a lot more, we started seeing a lot more of what was actually going on. You know, I feel like I feel like I was sheltered in that sense where I, I wasn't really aware of um the issues that a lot of blacks had faced until that was until about I remember when Trayvon when Trayvon Martin, when that incident happened, uh, I remember there was a gas station I always went to right down the street from the house. And um, I will go with my friends. Like, you know, if I had any friends that stayed over, we would go to the gas station and get some snacks. And I remember that that became like a, not to say, I won't say issue to my parents, but that became a, a big concern. Yeah. And I remember the conversation we had, like, no, like, listen, I don't do, we don't want you going over there to the gas station right now, especially it was nighttime too, you know, because they said, you got to understand how you're viewed, right? As soon as you walk through that gas, as soon as you walk into the store, all eyes are on you. They're watching to see what you're going to do. They're watching to see because you're you're now a, a threat to them, you know. Yeah. Especially you go in with, with with a couple of your friends, right? And that's a that's a huge that's a huge like concern, and and, and they were afraid of, of what could happen. They weren't afraid that I was going to ever do anything because they knew me better than that, but they, they never knew how anybody else was going to act, and. I remember that's when finally when the conversation finally came around, we started talking about it. Um, and even now, so obviously my dad was in the military and my dad is a white man. And I when when the Colin Kaepernick, uh, when he first took a knee, uh, you would think like we all, everybody was saying that. And that's one thing that irritated me so much. Everybody saying that he was disrespecting the flag and our troops and stuff. And I was like I said, my dad's in the military, and he said, I don't know why people are thinking that at all. Like my dad was completely with the entire movement. He said, I understand what he's, we understand what he's, where he's coming from, what he's fighting for, and none of the no, none of the troops, any people that he's talked to, felt offended at all in any type of way. You know, it was all kind of how media portrayed it and stuff. And so we had plenty of conversations about that. Um, like I said, we all, we all still with Cap during the movement and stuff. And it's crazy how now things are are turning. You see how. A lot of other sports and NBA is now uh, treating the Black Lives Matter movement, um, and and man, the situation that's going on even just recently uh, uh, disturbs me. And I, but the problem is, I hate I had to get off social media for a little bit because I, I I was tired of looking at, at at some of the comments and posts that people were making because it was so ignorant. I was tired of seeing the the uh, okay I don't well they they would be like. All you have to do is just comply. What's so hard about that, right? That those comments irritated me, man. Because we've seen plenty of times where people complying, and a guy has a knee on his neck for for eight minutes, right? We see we see how many people complying 
hands up, unarmed, getting shot and killed, right? Like, what do you mean it's just comply? Obviously, as as I'm pretty sure you understand what you would teach your kids, yes, comply, right? But the thing is, we are complying and we're still getting killed and these people aren't aren't being punished for it, right? And that's and that's really the issue. There's no justice. Like, these people are getting away with murder and it doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense. And I've seen, seen the video, what happened with Jacob Blake. You're telling there was three cops there and they could not subdue this man. They, there was no need to, to shoot this guy, right, at all. And so, it, man, it, it's frustrating to see, man, and, and um, fully support the, the Black Lives Matter movement because uh, my, my favorite my favorite saying I've seen is that all lives can't matter to Black Lives Matter, and, and that hit hard. You know, you understand coming from um, a biracial home, like, I, I do, I do think, um, like, I know some people are, are very pro-black and they don't think, like, uh, how can, how can I word this to you? Word this the best way possible. Some people are, you know, very pro-black and they don't believe in, in, uh, I'm just not going to say that part. We're going to leave that part out. Uh, but it, it's frustrating to see as a black man, even like I said, I'm biracial, I'm, I'm black and white, I'm viewed as black and and I'm I'm viewed as a threat to some people, and yeah, man, it's 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 scary. So anytime, and, and that should not be a, a a real thing where I'm getting pulled over and I'm fearing for my life. That shouldn't. We should be safe and protected by the police. We should not ever have to fear the police. In that crazy time, you get pulled over, your heart start racing. Yeah. Every single time. Every single time, and then not not one time I ever been pulled over. Like man, you know. And it's been a good experience, right? right? Exactly. So exactly. that's a that's a rough thing going on with these times now, man. But it's you know our family fully supports the the movement, man. And it's just hard to find answers, you know, like what's the how to go about it? Because people are doing everything they can. Mm-hmm. Only thing right now, really, I guess, best to do is just spread awareness. But um, you know, like. I always wonder another thing that I've seen a lot when the NBA did their protests where they didn't play. I hated seeing the comments for that too. Like, oh, what is that? Well, they just ended racism. They, you know, very sarcastic, and they're like, "Yeah, what is them not playing going to do?" You know, whatever. They should just stop playing. It was very kind of real, hateful and rejectful. And it's like, man, they're trying to do something positive, and people are bashing that. Right? They're doing what they they can. Nobody knows what the answer is. Nobody knows what how to how to fully fix this issue when it's been something systematic over years and years and years, right? It's not a, a, a boom and problem is solved, right? This is something that, that, that's going to take a while and it's just important that we keep spreading the awareness till the change finally happens. Um, so who knows? Who knows? Who knows when that'll be? But it's evident. I don't know if you ever seen this video, man. It was a servant to watch. It was a video and it was about like these little kids and uh, they're like white white kids, black kids, all makes a different color of kids. And they would be like, which doll is better? Or which action figure is better? Or beautiful or better looking or, or whatever it said. And they all, even black kids were picking the, picking the white doll. And that's because that's something that's been programmed. And even in the kids' minds, the thing, you know, their, their minds are, are the least shaped you know, to have any kind of form of opinion and, and prejudice. And even black children were still picking the white doll. And so you can see that was proof enough to pro, to show that this is all systematic and this is something that's being programmed 
into people's minds. So that's why I think it's just awareness is just so important to keep stressing and keep pushing out to people so you never forget. Cause let 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 uh nobody go about talking about it or, or it being shown or people posting about it and stuff for a good amount of time. There's so much going on in today's life that it'll be forgotten. Right? They will. Time goes on, time people tend to forget. So I think it's important you keep pushing out the message out for people to hear and people to see and then eventually hopefully change will come. You're right. I think that's a great place to stop. Um the awareness part, what you're talking about, I think is so important. And when I saw what LeBron and NBA and everybody in the NBA is doing, and they're starting to have polling places for, um, they're going to use some of the arenas as places to vote. Yeah, I see that. I think that's super important because um, I think it's time for change in the White House because we have someone in the White House that doesn't tell the truth and we need someone in the white house that tells the truth you mm-hmm. know I'm not gonna over politicize it because i respect everyone's opinion but um i think it's really really important for some change uh to come and we can only uh do that through voting i agree you know i, I agree. Hate, hate to end on you know that serious note we have such yeah. a you know, fun conversation, man. You know, it was really great. I really, you know, appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And um, I think people are going to get a lot out of this conversation. Um, we got to do it again after you, you know, after you go across seas and, you know, whoop on some folks. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. <laughs> but I, I appreciate it, Darius. And if you ever need no. anything, you must will always be here. I appreciate that, man. Thank you for the time. I appreciate right. that opportunity to talk. I know we caught you right after your uh, – right after your workout so you don't have none of your business. I hop in that shit. <laughs> <laughs> hey, with pleasure. <laughs> Thank you, Darius. Have a good one. Nah, I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Right. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the episode. If you haven't done so already, please text HBCU to 91096 to join our text community. That's where you have access, you have uh, discounts, you get first looks. Uh, that's the best place to get in touch with us. Text HBCU to 91096 and also rate us on iTunes. It'll really help us out. Thank you. And catch us on the next catch you on the next episode.